0: We're talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and just a quick review of the last couple weeks. In session one, we, I went over an introduction of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does, and just to set a foundation for talking more practically, which I did in week two about the baptism with the Holy Spirit, and we're talking about the baptism of power, to be empowered as a witness of Christ, and we went, we went through that together. And then last week, I talked very briefly And I went over my time, as you could tell, as I discussed the gifts of the Holy Spirit, because I am writing a book on it right now, so I couldn't uh, stop at a certain time. And so I was sharing with you about ministry and motivation and manifestation gifts that God gives to equip his people for works of service. And now tonight, we want to focus on what the Bible calls the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What is that and what does that mean? Now, as followers of Jesus, we all want everything that God has for us. When we look in the Bible, we see the word fruit and it's used fairly often. And it's not just an illustration or a metaphor. It's actually a spiritual principle. And I want to show that to you tonight throughout the Bible because we understand that fruit is the outcome or the byproduct of something that has been planted. And you have to take that concept in the natural and in apply it spiritually. When we look at scriptures like Genesis 1.11, it says, Then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them, and it was so. This is the creation account, and God was creating everything, and he said, Let all of these things bring forth fruit, and this is what God was after, His fruit is the outcome of what is planted. Naturally, we know that. We see it in the creation account. But then God blessed human beings, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. We see that as well in Genesis 1.26. In Genesis 17.6, he says to Abraham, I believe it is, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. He says to a man, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. This is a word that has been used throughout the Bible, and you continue to see it in the New Testament. Why? Because it is a New Testament principle. God wants to make us fruitful. God wants us to have fruit and to have fruit that remains. Look at Luke 6 and 43. Jesus says, For there is no good tree which bears bad fruit, nor on the other hand, a bad tree, which produces good fruit. And when he said this, when he talked about bad fruit and good fruit, he was talking about the nature of a person, the actions, the words, the things that come out of a believer's life. That is our fruit. And he said, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. If it's a good tree, it's going to have what? Good fruit. That's right. The words, the actions, the attitudes, the dispositions of our heart and our life are going to be good because it is what God does. And then in John chapter 15 and verse eight, Jesus says, my father is glorified by this, that you would bear much fruit so that you would prove to be my disciples. This is what God is glorified by. If you're ever wondering, what is it that pleases God? What is he calling me to do? What is he after in my life? God is after for you and I to be fruitful, but he's the one that created us. He's the one that made us. And Genesis 1.26 says, in his likeness, we've made in the image of God according to his likeness. He wants us to bear fruit that does what? That looks like him. The actions that we have, the words that we share, the attitudes that we have in our mind. He wants them to look like himself. So Jesus taught that it pleases the Father that we bear much fruit. And he said, this proves that you're my disciple. It isn't saying I'm a Christian that proves you're a disciple. It's what comes out of your life. What flows out of you is proof of what is in you. These are not my words, these are the words of Jesus. And so it is this fruitful way that we are looking for. The fruit that Jesus is talking about, I wanna define for you. What is the fruit? That Jesus is referring to he's talking about the character the nature and the ways of Jesus how many of you know God's good goal for you and for me is to make us like his son that is what God is doing in your life right now you never have to wonder what God is up to you always know that God is causing all things to work together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose and then Paul tells us his purpose. For God, for he predestined, he, those he, whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God wants us to look like Jesus, act like Jesus, talk the way Jesus would talk, do the things Jesus would do. That's fruitfulness in our life. It's the nature of Jesus. One of the things that I say when it comes to spiritual warfare, you've probably heard it before, but in spiritual warfare, a lot of times, we're guilty in the Pentecostal church of just naming Christ, you know, it just, I take authority and I name Jesus and I speak Jesus as Lord and I speak the name of Jesus over this situation. And maybe you'll get some freedom when you start there, right? You start with the name of Jesus on your lips. Everybody just say amen. You gotta start with the name of Jesus on your lips, but the war's never over until the nature of Jesus is flowing out of your heart. That's the reality here and that's fruit. Fruit that remains. So here is what we know. We produce fruit based on the seed that has been planted in us. We call that reproduction. What does all this have to do with the fruit of the Spirit, you might be asking? I'm sure you are. I'm asking that question, and I'm going to talk to you about that tonight. I want to look very quickly at the definition of the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Well, it's the virtue of Christ. Sometimes we call this the character of Christ. And this is the language that the Apostle Paul uses, and we find it helpful when we study the Holy Spirit. And this is the way that I would explain it to you. The seed of the Holy Spirit is planted in us when we are born again. 1 John uses that very language. He says that we are born of the seed of God. And as the life of the tree, Jesus is the vine, he flows through the branches, the extension of our lives, there is fruit And what you're going to find in Scripture is that as we are connected to the vine, as we are connected to the Lord Jesus, we will bear much fruit. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. The fruit of the Spirit is the life of Christ that people around us will encounter and experience more and more as we abide within our relationship with Jesus. I want to put it to you in terms like this, and maybe you've heard this before, but the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given, and they are received, and they are manifested by faith, that's all that it takes. Have you ever asked the question, why does this person that does not look anything like Jesus, why are they able to manifest spiritual gifts? And you almost think it can't be real, like that can't be a real spiritual gift, right? Well, the reality is, is that there are plenty of very immature people that can pray for someone and see the gifts of the Spirit released in their life by faith, but it does not mean that the nature of Jesus flows out of their heart. And at some point, if that person's character doesn't catch up to their gifting, it will discredit all of their ministry entirely you can only get away with that for so long. I mean, God tolerates things in our development just like we do with our children when they're very small. I mean, when our kids were really young and they would start talking to us and, for whatever reason, the parents sort of developed that language with the kids. I can't understand it at all. Like our kids are now, our youngest is almost 14. Can you believe it, Bridget? Almost 14. And so it's hard to remember, but when I come over to some of your guys' houses and you got those one-year-olds or two-year-olds and they go, I have no idea what they're saying, but you look at them and you're like, yeah, absolutely. It's over there in the fridge. And I go, what are you doing? You have your own language. You know, you sort of learn it a little bit. And every now and again, you get confused too as a parent, but you sort of learn what you can. But you tolerate that really strange version of communication. And you learn it a little bit. You tolerate it. In fact, sometimes you look down and you go, oh, you're just so cute. But if they came to you at like 17 and they did that, which by the way, can happen sometimes, and no offense to anybody, but it can still happen. Like you would think something's not right. Something's really wrong here. And the reality is, is that in development or as we grow, we know that some things need to change. We, we grow up, we grow out of things. But I know that Christians, when they're not connected to the Lord, it doesn't, even if they're 20 year, years old as a believer, it doesn't mean that they're manifesting or they're living out the fruit of the spirit when you see gifting in their life. I never think a gifted person is a mature person. Now, I used to think that, but I definitely don't think that anymore. And this is why we're called to have discernment is because you might see a really gifted person and you should never be wowed by anybody, only the presence and the person of Christ. We have to discern through these things because a person can have gifting and not have any character at all. I mean, Paul goes into it actually in First Corinthians 13, which we don't have time for, but he talks about having the gift of prophecy and knowing all mysteries, and a person can even give their body to the flames. They can serve, uh, they can serve their clothes off, and it doesn't mean anything, he said, but if they have not love. I mean, have you ever thought about that when Paul says that a, a person can literally give themselves sacrificially to the flames, and they can have all these mysteries and prophecies and speak in tongues of men and angels but have not love they are nothing. I mean you'd think anything sacrificial would be love, wouldn't you? But there's a type of sacrifice that is of self and the Bible calls that the flesh. My point is that gifts of the spirit are given, they're received, they're manifested by faith, but the fruit of the spirit is planted and it's received and manifested through abiding relationship with Jesus. You cannot have the fruit of the Holy Spirit without a true abiding relationship with Jesus. And let's read this passage to sort of prove what I'm saying tonight. Galatians 5.16, Paul writes to the Galatian church, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That is a powerful verse right there. If you haven't underlined that in your Bible, I encourage you to do so. I'm gonna read it again, we'll keep going. I say, walk by the Spirit outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. He got tired, so he just said, and things like these. (laughs) Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another and envying one another. Now, Paul here is talking to primarily Jewish people who had originally come to Christ. So they believed on Jesus for salvation but they were not living in step with the Spirit in keeping with what they had received. They started to trust in themselves, and apparently it had become evident in their behavior, which is why Paul contrasted the flesh and the Spirit. I mean, can't you agree tonight that he detailed it? He said, here's what the flesh looks like in case you don't know. And here's a long list and everything that looks like this. And just in case you forgot, The fruit of the Spirit is love. And then he goes on with the other things that describe love. The tendency that Paul is actually revealing to the church, and I think to us, is that it is a lot easier for us to live by religious rulership rather than relational substance. It is easy to derive a formula to make ourselves spiritual or feel spiritual. This is not their problem. This is all of our problem. We can get into religious routines and we can make ourselves think that we are pleasing God when in actuality, our relationship with Jesus has grown quite dim. That can happen to us, it happened to them. And he actually goes as far as saying to them in chapter three, Who has bewitched you? Having begun in the spirit, now you are carrying on in the flesh. In other words, you are going back to your old ways, but you're keeping some of these religious principles to make yourself feel like what you're doing is right. When in actuality, the way that you started, which was to humble yourself to God, to receive Jesus Christ as Lord for the forgiveness of your sins and establish a relationship with God. For you now to start in that you knew God did something for you that you couldn't do for yourself. You started that way in humility, in surrender, but now you sort of showed up in your life and you're trying to prove that you can do this without the same type of humility that got you into this relationship with them. This is why we should say things like what John Wimber used to say, the way in to Christ is the way on in Christ. The way in is the way on. We never grow out of surrender. We never grow out of humility. We never grow out of dependence. Growing up in the Lord, becoming mature, is not about getting to a standard where we no longer need him. Growing up in the Lord is where we become more dependent and we recognize that and our life shows it. It's where we wake up in the morning and we recognize this day is lost if I don't plug in and stay and remain in Christ. This day is virtually over and is chalked up to the flesh if I don't connect with the one who is literally transforming me, the only one that can actually change what is going on in the inside. He's doing an inside job. Living in the flesh is destructive to and through us, and it's absolutely not attractive to the people around us in our our life. Now, this isn't to say, and I don't want you to have religious guilt, so I must say this. It isn't to say that you and I are gonna walk sort of a perfect life right now. We wanna walk a humble life. We wanna have our hearts turned toward God and soft. In Christ. That's what this is about. If we do that, we will find that through humility, even being able to be honest about what we're not, it is in that place that we will find the Lord trusting in him and seeing more and more of the fruit of the Spirit in our life. I heard a man tell a story one time that illustrated this for me, and I never forgot it. I, wanna, I think I've shared it with you before, but there was a guy who was sitting in his kitchen at a at a small table there that that he had in in sort of a compartmentalized kitchen. And he was talking to a man. They were both sitting there. And his three-, four-year-old son, I don't remember how old he was, but he was a young boy. And he walks in, and he beelines it for the, the kitchen cabinets where the counter was. And on top of the counter, there was this butcher knife because they had just got done cutting something. And the person that described what had happened in the story he starts to share. He said, I was watching in slow motion as my son made his way up to the kitchen counter. And just as he was walking up, he was reaching up for whatever was up there. And he found this butcher knife, this really large knife, and he grabbed it by the blade. And as he pulled it down, he was holding on to the knife uh, from the blade's side. And he was walking around and the man said, everything happened in slow motion and I didn't want to freak out. I didn't want to scream because I knew that if I alarmed him in any way, he was going to grab a hold of the knife and that would be not so much a good thing. And so as he sort of scoured the room and looked around in panic as to what he would do, he just saw this bowl of shiny red apples right on the table he was sitting at and he grabbed one of the apples and he goes, hey, Johnny, hey, I want you to grab this apple. Do you want this apple? And he said that his son, as he got mesmerized with the big red apple, dropped the knife and picked up the piece of fruit. And I always thought that this was a really powerful story of what it's like to walk around in the flesh. When you walk around in the flesh, it's like walking around in danger zone. You're carrying a knife with the blade and just the one time where you get jolted and that's all it takes to get cut. It does, It's not very hard because you've already been set up in sort of this dangerous posture. But I also think it's a very powerful illustration to think that God wants us to exchange the flesh for the things of the Spirit. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. It's the principle of displacement. That what we're laying hold of is what God has, and we're giving him what we're carrying. And when we do that, we're going to see what the Holy Spirit brings. The Bible is very clear. It doesn't say the fruit of your maturity. It doesn't say the fruit of your best day. It says the fruit of the, it's his fruit. We bear his fruit, which demands or requires An abiding relationship. It is not our possession. It's an expression of the life of the Spirit of God through our relationship with Him. And the Father is calling us to exchange something better, what He has for what we have. And this is a daily surrender. How many of you know that so many lives have been ended, or relationships damaged, or hearts broken, or families torn apart because of the fruit of the flesh? And so this is why the stakes are high. It isn't just about living a very nice life in Christ where people think I'm a nice person. But if we really carry love and joy and peace and patience and kindness And gentleness and faithfulness and self-control into the world, we can expect a release of Christ around us and through us that will bring change to people in in our life. Did you know that how you are and not just what you say is just as powerful? People notice this, right? It isn't just like, hey, do you want to know Jesus? And then the rest of our life, we're terrible. Because the answer is going to be no. I mean, explain the gospel to somebody that doesn't think very much of you. Now, I'm not saying you have to be perfect, but I'm just saying if we're not endeavoring to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, try explaining the gospel to somebody that's only seen your bad days. It's like every day, it's like, I'm just having a bad day. They might wonder, do you ever have a good day? I mean, they're looking for fruit on your tree, right? People are looking for fruit on the tree. It's, it's that edible thing. I mean, it's an incredible illustration Fruit keeps people alive. Fruit is good for people. And this is what the Bible is teaching us, is that God wants us to have fruit on our tree, and he's given us everything so that it can happen. We're not doing this alone. Well, what is the source of the fruit of the Spirit? I mean, obviously, it is the Spirit himself, but I just want to bring up a few points that I think the passage talks about because we're saying it's the character of Christ. And so we see that these qualities develop in our life alongside our relationship with him. Look at Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, sorry, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. Listen to this. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I want you to notice something here when when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit is and then lists these nine sort of attributes. It's very, very powerful when you think about it because we often talk about the character of Christ in our life like it is something that we need to like do, do more of or try harder at. Like, I need to be more patient in my life. How many people have said that? I mean, <laughs> I need to be more patient. Uh, you're looking at your spouse right now or your friend or even the random person next to you. Yep, that's true about them. I need to be more kind in my life. I need to be more gentle in my life. The thing that plagued me as a kid growing up, I don't know where this came from, but gentle Ben. I don't know what that was, why that was a thing, but when I was growing up, people used to talk about gentleness and Ben, like gentle Ben. Uh, apparently, that was part of some cartoon that I never watched, and I was confused as a child. Got over it. Took a long time, many years. Uh, just want to let you know, whenever you say stuff to kids, might want to explain it, all right? Took me like 10 years to figure that one out why are you saying this? But people say things like, I need to be more patient. Friend, you need to be more connected to Jesus. I need to be more faithful. Well, what's the trajectory then? I mean, what is the secret sauce? No, really. Do you get up tomorrow and you just go, I'm going to try hard today, man. Yesterday was bad, but today I'm feeling it. It's going to be great. No, friend, has that worked? Come on, a couple of you don't even want to say anything. Has that worked? That's sometimes as a preacher, I, I bemoan the applicational points. Not that our sermons don't need to have application and practicality to it, they do. But I just think like, how many points can I give that you're really going to do this week? No, like really, did you even remember one that I gave you last week? Probably not. And the reality is, is that the greatest lesson that we can learn is not A, B, C, and D. Here's the five easy steps to your spiritual development. Has anybody else found that secret? I mean, there are books written like that. No, it's having an abiding relationship with Jesus. It's learning how to have a better relationship, not learning how to be under rulership. I mean, if he's already Lord, now how do we come to him and stay in him? And so we have to understand what it actually means for these qualities to flow out of our life and how it is that we can grow and develop in this relationship. And I think Paul says something to this effect. He talks about love. He focuses on love. And that's where I'm going with this. Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. He's talking to the church, and they're behaving terribly towards each other. And so he's bringing them back to the great commandment, love God, love each other. And I would argue that when you study this passage, it says the fruit of the Spirit. It's singular. It's a a singular word. Sometimes the word fruit can represent a lot. It, It can be sort of a a multiplied effect. It can talk about a whole bowl of fruit. But in this particular passage it's very interesting, the fruit, it's a singular term, and I believe what he's saying is the fruit of the spirit is actually love. And this is what I believe and that love is manifested in all these other ways. Love is kindness. Love brings patience. It isn't just that you're a patient person, it's that you're patient towards others. Because if you're loving toward others, you'll be patient toward them. See, love is that which is produced through the Spirit of God. And this is what we see from scripture after scripture. It is actually agape. That's the word. It's agape, it's God's love. It's not the world's love, it's not worldly love, it's God's love. See, it's love that manifests all these other attributes. That's why all over the Bible, it's love God and it's love people. And I think the Ten Commandments can be summed up in that as well. Don't you agree? And that's literally what is said. The greatest of the commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets can hang on that. Why? Because if we're talking about God's love, it is always considering God and it's always considering others. It's to have the best interest of God and of others in our view. It's to take a back seat to life and to put Jesus in front. Fruit can be defined as agape love, not just love itself, but agape. It's better to kind of qualify it, I think, because we use the word love in our world so often. But this is what it means. Look what Paul says in Romans 5. He says, Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Do you see the connection? The fruit of the Spirit is love. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The agape of God is mentioned 116 times in the Bible. I think it's really important. This is just the New Testament. So, the Holy Spirit is the source of the fruit. He is the Spirit of Christ conforming us to the person of Christ. Now, you might ask the question why do I not look more like Jesus? You have to yield to the potter shaping the clay. You have to yield. Paul exhorted the church so many times, dozens and dozens of times. He wrote 13 letters and he continued to call people into this daily surrender. Jesus said it far before he ever went to the cross. You remember what he said? If anyone wishes to come after me, he must first deny himself. That means to dethrone yourself. It means that we get off the throne. We take away our own definitions, our own descriptions, our own desires. We get off the throne. Jesus sits on the throne of our life. You must deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, daily crucifixion. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? I mean, he's talking about you have to become accustomed to a life where you're putting yourself second and you're putting God in his ways first. Friend, that's not an easy thing to do, but it is the way of a Christian. And this is why we have to look a little bit at the cultivation of the fruit. And I'll be done here in just a few moments. But this is probably the most important part of what we're talking about. We know that the fruit of the Spirit is love. We know the fruit of the Spirit comes through abiding relationship, but this is where Jesus actually describes it. He says here in terms of a cultivation in John 15 and verse one through 17, let me just read it. It's a little long of a passage, but it's worth the read. I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit he pruned so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Say, you will. Say that. He says, if you do this, you will bear fruit. I mean, it's a for sure guarantee on the box. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Do you see the love, love, love? It's everywhere, right? He's just talking about it everywhere. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I've kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so so that my joy may be in you and that your joy might be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business Instead, I have called you friends. Do you see the relational thing that he's establishing here? I am now calling you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Let me share with you just a few things. I'm gonna hit you practically with these. I believe what this, passage is talking about, is that number one, we must recognize that he is the source. The Trinity is quite revealed here. Jesus is the vine. The Father is the gardener. The Holy Spirit is the sap or the life of the vine that flows in and through us. And this means that his strength, it's his strength and not ours. It's his character and not our supposed maturity. It's his grace, not our works. And it's his glory, not our credit that's what this means. He's talking about abiding. He's talking about remaining. He's talking about relationship. And the second point is we must repent from selfish attitudes and behaviors. Paul makes it really clear to the Galatian church that there is the flesh and there is the spirit. But he says, walk after the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If you and I walk in the spirit and we figure out how to do that, it says that we'll displace the life of the flesh. The flesh that ruins our life, destroys our life. The problems and the pain that come into our world, they come from the flesh. But if we learn daily surrender, and we learn to turn from self and turn toward God in a daily way, we will continue to walk by the spirit. It's not rocket science. It's actually called surrender. And this is where we have to become broken we have to become broken. And I don't mean broken like shattered by life, but I mean broken before God. Like the saints of old, if you read old books, they used to talk about the broken way, the broken life. And so I'm saying this in a way where you're not shattered by people and situations, but you're broken before God. You're humble. You're laid bare before God. He can have all of your heart. There's nothing that we're withholding. There's nothing we're holding back there's nothing like a little bit for me and a little bit for God. It's all His. He can have it all. And sometimes we say things like, you've got to be willing to lay it on the altar, all of it on the altar, and whatever we're unwilling to lay on the altar becomes the idol of our heart. And those idols begin to run and rule and ruin us, so we have to repent from selfish attitudes and behaviors as we identify them. But thirdly, this passage talks about remaining. We need to remain connected to Jesus. What does that mean? to us in our world. What did they think when Jesus said, remain in my love? Well, Jesus was going to ascend to be with the Father, and they didn't know that at the time. They weren't getting it, and they didn't get it until it was all done, and they finally got it. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Jesus ascended. Now we get it. The Holy Spirit came. To remain in Jesus is to stay connected to his words. It's to have an abiding relationship where we walk with him and we talk with him and we're connected to him. And I would, I would go as far as saying connected to the church or any local church. I'm not forcing you to our church, but Paul uses this language. He says, we are the body of Christ and we need one another. And he says, you can't say to the hand, I don't need you. You can't say to the, to the foot, I have no need of you. We're the body of Christ. I don't even think it's really possible to get fully discipled without one another. I think that's just the way God made it. Why? Because you and I have to humble ourselves. Have you ever looked around and noticed that we didn't choose each other, but somehow God chose us to be together? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I don't know what else brings us together. Maybe some of us have sort of like some type of connection and things of the world, but what we have is much deeper. It's Christ. That's what brings us together today. That's what puts us into this place, focusing on the same word, the same mission, the same purpose, the same person of Jesus Christ. And this is vital for us to remain connected. It means that we're people that are faithful to his word. I just want to remind you, and this isn't to guilt you at all. This is hopefully to make you hungry. When we talk in our church about people reading the Bible, we're not talking about just doing it. We're saying we need the Bible. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't think I can disciple anybody effectively that isn't willing to start reading the the word of God for themselves. It's not possible. And we become spiritual mediators for people rather than mentors. But the truth is, is that the new covenant has established that all can have a relationship with Jesus. All can walk up the mountain and spend time in his glory. All can be with him, but not all do. Some people wait down on the bottom of the mountain for Moses to come down from the mountain and tell us what God said. And the more we do that to one another, the more we look for the mediators rather than the mentors. The farther away we we are from God and we stay far from God because we just don't take advantage of what God has made available to us. And I'm saying this to you and I know it's provocative and I mean it, but you're as close to God as you want to be. You're not as close to God as you feel. Don't don't trust your feelings but you're as close to God as you want to be. Spending time with him, being with him, inviting him into your life, surrendering to him in a daily way. Nobody can do that for us. We cannot outsource our spirituality. Nobody can do that for us. So we remain connected in Jesus. We're daily committed. We're daily connected. Worship, prayer, fellowship. And then fourthly, we release what we receive. Verse 10, he says, keep my commandments, my commandments which center around love. Jesus is the example because he says, I did it. I kept my father's commandments. I'm telling you to do the same. In verse 12, he says, to love one another just as I have loved you. In verse 16, he says that for this purpose, I've appointed you to go and bear much fruit. I've called you to do this and I've given you all that you need. And the way that we do this is we just give away what we have. We share our life with other people and we bear fruit. It's not something that we do And keep it to ourselves. Bearing fruit means that we're in the lives of other people. They can see Jesus, they can sense him, they can experience him because we're in their life. You don't have to be in a hundred people's lives, but to be in the lives of other people. And this entire process is simplified in this last verse, and I'm gonna close, is John 15, 14. Check this out. I want to read it to you again. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all the things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You are my friends. These are the words of Jesus Christ. So we recognize and we repent and we remain and we receive within the context of friendship with Christ. This is a powerful truth, and this is what we long for. And I don't know, I mean, I talk about Jesus all the time and I sort of assume everybody loves him and everybody walks with him and everybody woke up today and said, hey, Jesus, I love you. Everybody opened the Bible today, right? You're you're all shaking your heads because I'm like, you gotta read the Bible and you're all like, amen. And, And I just assume, I'm trying to assume that everybody's in there. You know, I know everyone loves Jesus. I know everyone longs for more. But I would just tell you today that We've gotta go beyond this like, inward desire or sometimes even a, a guilt that we have. Like I know that I can be closer to Jesus and I want to do that. Well, we've gotta got move from this place of what I want to do to what I actually do. And I would tell you the first step, if that's where you are, is to break out of your guilt, the religious baggage or bondage that says, if I admit that I'm not where I ought to be, What will people think of me? Just break out of that bondage right now. The thing that God honors is humility and honesty, and the enemy works overtime to keep us captive to this religious baggage and this religious bondage that keeps us in a place where we gotta put it on for other people. That's exactly what the Pharisees did. They wanted to be right in front of people, and they weren't as concerned about being right in front of God. And so the way that we step past our own thresholds is to step through the door of humility and offer to God what we are and where we are. If we don't read the Bible, we've got to tell God that. We've got to be honest about that. If we don't have a prayer life, we've got to start there. Ben, I don't really pray. I just don't. I want to but our desire and our actions may not be the same. So we've just got to start there. You know what I'm saying? We've got to start there. But if you look at the fruit of your life and you feel like, man, I've got to be a better Christian. That's all of us. But I've got to be a better, like there's some things flowing out of me that are not fruit. And if they are fruit, they're dead fruit. It's rotten fruit. It's not edible And if you can be honest about that and say, listen, I know that just based on the actions of my life and the words of my mouth that something's not quite right. And I need Jesus to flow through me. Friend, I want to tell you, it ain't going to be because you get up tomorrow and try harder. That's not how you came to Christ and that's not how you stay in Christ. You ain't going to try harder your way out of this. You've got to surrender more. This is, what, this is why I love Wednesday nights is we're pressing into worship. We're pressing into intimacy. We're pressing into relationship. And maybe you're not yet there, but can I encourage you to go there? Can I encourage you to talk to God like he's your father? Can I encourage you to be on your knees when you pray and to make your relationship with him more real? Can I encourage you to spend more time in the word, can I encourage you to pray and actually be honest about maybe where you're not so that you can obtain the power and the grace that God gives to grow beyond where you're at today because you will and you can. His grace is supernatural power to bring us from where we are to where we need to be. And this is true for me and it's true for you. The fruit of the spirit is not to be obtained. It's, It's we bear it. The Bible says really clearly, I have appointed you for this, that you would bear much fruit. The tree does not try hard to bear fruit. All the branch has to do is stay connected to the tree. If the branch is connected to the tree, then fruit, they, the branch bears fruit. The, the branch does not produce the fruit. The life of the tree flows through the branch and fruit is born. But what happens to fruit if the branch is cut off? There is none. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. Thanks for listening today. Pastor Ben's mission is to equip the church to impact the world. If you want to get connected, check the show notes and visit bendixon.org. From there, you can learn about Pastor Ben's other podcasts, the books he has written, Ignite Global Ministries, and the online Immersion Discipleship School.